Praise the Lord. Welcome again to our Sunday broadcast. We are missing all of you folks, and we're so sad that we can't hug your neck and shake your hand and love on you a little bit. But today we're going to ask you to turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 26. I do have one announcement because I've had questions on this for people that are wanting to mail in whatever their tithes and offerings are. You can just mail them in the King of Kings 1224 South Avenue 68370 or just get in contact with Steve. He'll be more than uh, happy to accommodate you in, in that way. But today we're going to look at one woman's devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Matthew 26, I want to look at the first few verses and we'll read. It came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said unto his disciples, you know that after two days is the feast of the Passover and the son of man is betrayed to be crucified. Then assembled together the chief priests and scribes and elders of the people unto the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas. They consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there's an uproar amongst the people. When Jesus was in Bethany in the house of the leper, Simon, there came a woman having an alabaster box of precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat or at the meal. When his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she has wrought a good work upon me. And you don't always have the poor with you, but me... You always have the poor with you, but me you will not have always. For she hath poured this ointment on my body, and she did it for my burial. And I say to you, wheresoever this gospel is preached in the whole world, there shall also this that this woman hath done be told for a memorial of her. So one woman's devotion, and we're going to have a word of prayer. And we're so glad to have all of our friends with us today as we are teaching this lesson. Praise the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we're so happy again to be able to look into the scripture. We pray that out of this, Lord, you would help us to love you more and more as we study this lady and the conditions around it. And so, God, we are so happy to be here again in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. In the previous chapters, Jesus had been talking about the last days, and he had conversed with them about what they could expect right up to the point where we were in what we call today the latter days. He talked about the false teachers, the various lies. In Matthew 24, verse 7, he even spoke about the pestilences. So this condition we're dealing with now, which is why we're gathered in this particular manner is because Jesus predicted there would be viruses right up to the end. It's a pestilence. At the end of this long discussion on these issues of prophecy, chapter 26, the first few verses, lead us into this discussion where he says, I only have two days and I'll be betrayed. I want you to consider if you only knew you had 48 hours to live, what would be on your mind? 
what are the things you would want to put in order. Jesus knows that he has approximately two days and it is during this time frame that these priests and these elders and these scribes assemble. Now they're getting together because this is a conspiracy to take down our Savior. They want this man dead. The jealousy is at an all-time high. Miracles have been taking place. People are astonished at his doctrine. His teaching is resonating with people. He's able to converse with them about agricultural things in a way that the scribes and Pharisees are incapable of connecting with the people. So in the home of the high priest, they said, we need to kill this man. We need to kill him. And that's what they're working on, the assumption that they can get the job done. Now, later on in verses 14, 15, and 16, you can see they found a willing vessel by the, in, the, in, the, in the man by the name of Judas. So Judas, he pretty much cooperated with them. But here's the thing. Why did they want to kill Jesus? It's because of what he taught and how he lived. And I honestly believe that where there is a true manifestation of Jesus Christ in the life of anybody, there will be people who will be hostile towards that person. You cannot put light in a room filled with darkness and expect the darkness and the light to mix and mingle. There will always be some kind of animosity or anger. And this is what Jesus had to deal with continually in his ministry. So with the betrayal and the crucifixion up ahead of him, He takes the time to move from the temple about two miles away to the home of a gentleman named Simon who was in Bethany. Now, the scripture describes Simon as a leper. I don't know how many of you have ever seen leprosy in person or seen pictures of it, but it's a a very, very uh, bad disease, and it gives people features sometimes that, that other people aren't comfortable uh, looking at. In the Old Testament, leprosy was the kind of sickness that people believed was contagious. And according to the book of Leviticus, you had to isolate yourself. Now, isn't that what we're doing now? Because of the present virus. This man, Simon, while he had the leprosy, According to the Old Testament, he would have had to go to a priest. They would have looked into his scalp or into his skin, looked at it. And if they saw some kind of a white spot, then they would have noticed that the leprosy was breaking out. Then the priest would have pronounced him unclean. The scripture says he had to wear a covering over his mouth that said unclean. So that means there was a, a physical sign to let people know, stay away from me. And the isolation, of course, wasn't easy at all. And the kind of isolation he dealt with in the Old Testament, he would have been outside of the village. But through the ensuing years, hundreds and hundreds of years, it's less likely that he would have been outside the city, but probably would have been isolated to a particular village or even to his own home. Now, I believe that this man obviously by now is healed. Now, why would you say that? Well, if he wasn't healed, then Jesus and the disciples would have had to break a number of Old Testament laws in order to come to this man's house. Because the scripture says with leprosy, you're defiling yourself if you come into contact with it. We know Jesus had a ministry healing 
the, the lepers. But, but regardless, let's just say whether he has the leprosy or doesn't have the leprosy, what is amazing and fascinating to me that this is the home that Jesus chose to go to. Here was a man that didn't have any fear of sickness and disease. There are some people today that if, if you breathe or cough or rub your arm on them, they'll get absolutely nervous. But Jesus comes along and he's around some of the worst kinds of viruses and diseases you can think of. And he comes into the home and has a meal with him. There's a man that didn't walk in fear. He trusted God. He walked in wisdom, but he trusted God. At this home, Simon was hosting the Savior the son of God. Now, how happy do you think he would have been to have him at the table? Oh, my goodness. You know, just really pleased to have the Lord there sitting there eating up the food that he had had prepared. So while he's there, there's a lady who comes. Now, this lady, obviously, she didn't have a problem going to the home of Simon the leper. And I guess even if you thought Simon had leprosy, if you knew Jesus was there and he healed people, then you might as well go anyhow, which teaches us quite plainly that if, if I can get to God, then I don't have to worry about the restrictions that other people put on me because I know in the presence of God, that's where the power is. And this is something that we hope in the future, people in the church throughout America will come to see that you don't have to be afraid of anybody's home if in fact Christ is in there. And if we're two or three are gathered, Jesus is in the midst, then everywhere we go, we can expect the king to be there. So Jesus is seated here with this family. A lady comes in with a beautiful, beautiful uh, container that has some precious ointment. She didn't ask if she could do it. She didn't ask Simon if it would offend him. She went directly to the master, poured it over his head while he was eating. Now you say, why didn't Jesus get angry and upset? Because her act was not unconventional. In the, in the time in which Jesus lived, Jewish people often anointed a person for burial. Now, she wasn't doing it, I don't think, because he was going to die. But this is how Jesus describes it in verse 13. But you'll remember after he was crucified and placed in the tomb, they came the next day with the various ointments because they wanted to minister to him in accordance with, with Jewish tradition. But this lady's devotion to Jesus was so great that she left wherever she was to come directly to where he was. And she stood there, poured it on him, and she was excited to be able to do it. He was not offended. He was not angry. She took what she had and she gave what she had. That's all we can do. You cannot give away what you do not possess. But you're able to give what you do have. Now, what can you pour on the Lord Jesus Christ? praise. He was seated at the table. Here she poured perfume on him, on him. He's seated at the right hand of the Father now, but we can pour praise upon him. And you can do that whether anybody likes it or not. You can love God, worship God, adore God, esteem him, even if everybody else doesn't want to hear what you have to say. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I worship you. Jesus, I adore you. And if someone gets offended, you let them know, I'm not pouring oil on your head, I'm pouring it on my Savior's head. And what I'm doing doesn't have anything to do with you at all. So this lady's devotion was great, 
And this is why she came and did what she did in verse number seven there. Verse eight is interesting because the disciples who observed this, they got angry. Now, isn't that something? People will get angry because you are totally devoted to your God. They'll get upset because you're taking so much time and taking your resources and placing them at the disposal of the king. And I've heard people even say to others before, I don't know why he or she gives so much to the kingdom of God or to a church. Well, I mean, it's really none of your business. If they want to give to a church, that's fine. Someone told me one time they were, I think, maybe doing their taxes or talking with a banker. And the banker was looking at the statement of how they give. And he said, you know, you, you give quite a bit of money. Uh, to your your local church, uh, maybe you want to consider cutting back on that. And the man looked at the bank and said, I think this year I'll give a little bit more now. See? Think about it. There's some people who get indignant at the praise that you pour on God. Don't allow their anger to hinder anything that you're doing. You can never love God enough. You could never worship him enough. You could never give enough to him because we are debtors to him because of what he has done for each one of us. And the scriptures says very plainly, it was the disciples that were angry. Now here's the interesting part. I understand why sinners get mad at our devotion to Jesus. I understand that. They don't have a covenant with God. They don't have a relationship with God. What I don't understand is why Christians get angry at people who are fervently passionate about their faith. Now, let me, let me just tell you our typical schedule every week, and I know you in the church, you, you know this, but this, this, this needs to be reiterated again from time to time. Okay, Sunday morning, uh, when we're not in this crisis stuff, Sunday morning, we're in church. Sunday night, we're in church. Monday night, we're in church. Tuesday night, we're in church. Wednesday night, we're in church. Thursday night, we're at home. Friday night, we're in church, and very often Saturday morning, we're still teaching some kind of a meeting somewhere. Now, there are people who will say things like this, and this is what, what, what my mom has said to me before. You, nobody has to go to church that much. Well, we go to church as often as we want to go, you know. And, and when, whenever we've, we've told my mom, you need to come on out here from Cleveland and visit us out here, she said, I'll come out there, boy, but I'm not going to be in church every night of the week. I said, well, you are going to be in church every night of the week if you come out here. She said, I'll stay where I am then. Okay, well, the disciples don't always see the reason for this, what we would call a waste of time. You know, people may not use that language, but essentially that is what they're saying. Why do you need to spend so much time in prayer or reading your Bible? Or studying from one message to the next. Why do you need to spend so much time visiting with your people, checking up on church folks? There are other things that you can do. But the same people don't think anything about spending 40, 50, 60 hours on their job. Because we tend to believe if we're receiving payment, then it's a worthwhile venture. But folks, I'm telling you, serving God, that will give you greater dividends in the long run than you'll ever get in some other kinds of employment. So let's never get angry with people because they're serving God. Let's not say, what is the purpose of this waste? Let's say, why didn't you pour more on him? Is that all you brought? 
That the best you can do? Isn't there more that you can give to God? I know the scripture says we should tithe and give 10% to the Lord. Can't you give 12? Can't you give 15? Our, our desire should never be to hinder what someone is doing, but to encourage them. If you're praying for 10 minutes a day, can't you go 20? Give God 30. If you're reading the Bible each day and you're, you're, you're opening up each morning, closing out each day with six or seven minutes of scripture reading, go ahead and give God 20. Give him an hour. Let him minister to you. And don't ask the question, what's the point of this? We know the purpose, to praise God, to glorify him. So verse 9 then, people are complaining, and here's what comes out of their mouth, because the scripture says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. They say, so much of this could have been given to the poor. Now, this lady had this ointment in her home, in her possession for I don't know how long. And it's not like she never passed anybody that was poor. She probably saw a lot of poor people. But it's a matter of value. Do I simply want to give this to someone that's poor, or do I want to give this to someone who's my savior? That's the idea. She came into the home of Simon And she had an objective and a goal in mind, and that was to bless the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why verse 10 says, when Jesus understood it, he understood exactly what was going on. He understood what was in her heart, and he understood what was in the mind and heart of the disciples. He understood what was going on inside of Simon, and he said, why are you troubling the woman? Because any time. You murmur and complain about what someone is doing for God. You're bringing trouble into their lives. Don't do that. Encourage them. Don't try to hinder them. When I became a Christian as a teenager and my brothers were hiding my Bible from me, they weren't encouraging me. They were troubling me. That was the the difficulty. And if, if someone around you is in love with God, don't bring trouble into their lives. Encourage them to walk with the king. Do what you can to help facilitate what they're doing to be a blessing in the kingdom of God. Jesus said in verse 10, she's done a good work. How could it be a good work if somebody comes and pours something over your head? Seems like that would be an annoyance. If you were at a meal You were enjoying yourself and you were laughing and joking with a few friends and somebody comes and pours oil or something over you and all of a sudden it starts going down your body. First thing you would think probably wouldn't be that's a good thing you've done to me. Some of us will get angry. but Jesus, he looked at this as a future type or a symbol of what was going to take place there when he died. In verse 12, he says she did this for my burial. That is to say, she didn't even understand the point of what she was doing. But ultimately, here is what has taken place. So sometimes, our our great acts and our, our acts of devotion to the king, we may not understand them immediately when they're taking place, but yet it's still very important to God. This lady, her heart was in love with the Lord, and all she had was this, so this is what she gave. What you give is important to you, it'll be important to God. Gypsy Smith was a great, great preacher over in England. His years were the exact same years as Smith Wigglesworth, 1859-1947. Gypsy Smith traveled all across England and around the world preaching the gospel. He wasn't a divine healing guy, 
but he certainly saw thousands and thousands saved. He was raised a gypsy, became a Christian at an early age, started preaching as a teenager. And oh, the conventions and meetings that he had. But on one occasion, after a meeting, a little girl walked up to him. She couldn't have been no more than seven or eight or something like that, maybe a little bit older. But she came up to him, had a bag of candy, and she said, Mister, would you take my candy? And, and he looked at her and said, well, why do you want me to take your, your, your candy? She said, because my dad, for years, has, has been a drinker. And he's always got drunk at the saloon, then come home and beat my mom, and then beat me. But he said, since you started these meetings out here, my dad has come out here, and he's given his, his heart to the Lord, and, and there's no more yelling, there's no more screaming, there's no more drinking, and there's no more beating in the house. And we're poor, and we don't have anything. So I asked my mom if I could just take some of these pieces of candy that I'd have, and I just asked if I could take them to the preacher. She said that, that you could. And it was all that I had to give, so that's why I'm coming to you asking you, Mr., would you take my candy? And that preacher was just so broken by the fact that a little girl would give to a man of God some candy because he had led her dad, her dad, into the kingdom of heaven. Folks, I'm telling you that when we serve God, you'll find that out of a relationship with the king will come these various acts of devotion. This little girl had a desire to see a man rewarded because her dad had come into the kingdom. What are you giving to God? What are you willing to give to God? How much time are you willing to set aside so that God can be blessed by something that you're providing for him? Says she's done this for my burial. And then Jesus says there in verse 13, doesn't matter where you go in this world where the gospel is preached, this will be told as a memorial for her. That means in South Africa, they need to hear this story. That means over in Southeast Asia, the folks in Laos and Vietnam need to hear about this woman's devotion. Up in Europe, here in North America, we need to know what it is to, to be totally devoted to God, to take your heart, to put your heart in the hands of the king, and then let God know how pleased you are by how good he's been to you. And I think if we live our life like this lady, in the end, God will do wonderful things for us. So folks, be devoted to God. Don't turn your back on God. and Don't allow anybody to hinder you in your relationship with the king. Just fan the fire and let the Lord have his way in Jesus' mighty name. And we're hoping to be able to get together eventually. I know all of this stuff is going on. But just give it a little bit of time. We'll be right back out here praising the king and loving on him. God bless you. Praise the name of God. Amen. Amen.